Where I come from, we have universities, seats of great learning, where men go to become great thinkers. And when they come out, they think deep thoughts, and with no more brains than you have. But they have one thing you haven't got, a diploma. Therefore, by virtue of the authority vested in me by the Universitatis Committeatum e Pluribus Unum, I hereby confer upon you the honorary degree of Ph.D. <laughs> PhD, yeah, that's Doctor of Thinkology. This is Plausibly Live. There is an old saying, and it goes like this. If you're not a liberal when you're young, you have no heart. And if you're not a conservative when you're old, you have no brain. This is a fascinating quote. And it's one that gets thrown around a lot, particularly by conservatives, because we're trying to explain why people seemingly shift, but do they really? I don't, it's, it's questionable. It actually comes from a 19th century French author who wrote the quote, and I'm not even going to try the French, but the original translation of it says, he who is not a Republican, little r, not party, not the GOP, but someone who is anti-monarchial, he who is not a Republican at 20, compels one to doubt the generosity of his heart. But he who, after 30, persists, compels one to doubt the soundness of his mind. It's a guy by the name of Anselmi... Batby is a 19th century academic in France, which is kind of captures the mindset of France, uh, pre and mid revolutionary France. It's an interesting quote because I come across a couple of articles uh, this week about it. First one was actually by a doctor of all people who was writing an article about how to treat COVID. And he wrote the article some time ago, but it was a it was an interesting article because he was he wants to be very compassionate and very heartfelt and very I don't know what the word for it is. He's he wants to be very uh, accepting of people, but he was finding himself becoming more and more conservative, more and more harsh, as he put it, in his treatment of of COVID because he felt that people weren't taking proper precautions. And it was like, well, look, you know, I feel bad for you, but if you're going to be stupid, well, you know, there you go. Now, the interesting thing about that article is his definition of stupid was, of course, not wearing a mask, not being vaccinated, uh, going out to church and stuff in public. And this made him angry. So he used that quote to explain how he was becoming less compassionate, because that's his definition of conservatism, less compassionate, which is a definition that I vehemently disagree with, but, you know, what are you going to do? There were also a couple magazine articles uh, that I read this week about the same kind of mindset, and in fact, the one that came out this morning was about how Hamas woke me from my awoke me from my wokeness. And it was a fascinating discussion about how he had been a Jew, he is a Jew, who found himself defending the Palestinian point of view, mostly because it annoyed his parents, 
mostly because it was counterculture type stuff through the years. But when the Hamas attack happened on October 7th, he, he realized that he was starting to not be woke anymore. And this is actually had started for him some years ago, earlier, when he was told at college that anti-Semitism is not racism. Only racism is, is he was by, by he, he watched a woman who was expressing the, the emotions that she had felt that anti-Semitism expressed towards her, and it was diminished and it was told that's not racism. It has to be anti-African-American to be racism. And he thought, that's strange. And then, of course, the Hamas attacks um, really kind of pushed him in that direction. There's always a point when you realize that your worldview isn't what you thought it was. Sometimes that comes younger, sometimes it comes older, but that always happens to folks. I I go back to Constitution Thursday and, and John, who... You know, I love John, and uh, we had a great time together. And I think that he really enhanced Constitution Thursday because he was learning. But I remember the catalyst for that was he, the first probably, I don't know, six weeks of it, he really wasn't into it. But then when it became about the First Amendment, when it became about the case where they were trying to ban, quote-unquote, violent video games, this was something that appealed to him. And all of a sudden, he began to understand a different worldview than he had had before. I, uh, I, I've always appreciated that. There's myself. Um, I talked about this last week, about the fact that I had always considered Julius Caesar to be a tyrant and his assassination to be very Republican, very justified. But I've started to question that. I really have. I'm taking a course right now about uh, Roman history and another one. And this professor who um, speaks to me in ways that other professors don't necessarily do so, but he he raised that point about if it had been about those things, then fine. But it wasn't because these people didn't show any of those criteria. That The reason they killed him was to maintain their own power base, which was just as corrupt as they accused him of being. And this becomes more and more obvious when you see how things were handled um, by Augustus later on. And so it's kind of changing my mindset. It's a point when I realize that my worldview is not what I thought it was. The question becomes, what do you do with it? Okay, so you turn 30 and you get a brain instead of a heart. What do you do about it? I suspect that most people do nothing about it. I suspect that most people bury their heads in the sand and say, well, it doesn't matter. My son is 13, so maybe it's not fair to, to bring him into this, but my son will not discuss politics. If you try to discuss politics with him, he'll say, I hate politics, put his fingers in his ear, blah, 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 and change the subject, or he'll go away. It's not that he doesn't understand politics. It's that he has a worldview that is incompatible, I think, with that understanding. For example, uh, he starts a conversation the other day by informing me that people in Florida are stupid. I don't disagree. There's a reason I call it Florida, but his reasoning was, and I quote, he said, 
Florida passed a law to kill gay people, unquote. Now, that is not true. Florida did not pass a law to kill gay people. He knows that that's untrue. And in fact, he knows that it's nonsensical, that you don't just pass laws in a republic, which he's learning about in school. To, the whole point of a republic is to protect minority rights. But in the worldview that he's developed through various sources, this is what he's being told. This is what he's being taught. This is what he's, his heart is, hey, they're, they want to kill gay people, and that doesn't seem right to me. He also knows that's not correct, so he shuts down and refuses to talk about it when I try to push him on it. Why do you think that? What, what kind of law do you think that would be? Where Wouldn't you think such a law would be overturned by the Supreme Court very quickly or the lower courts? He doesn't want to talk about it because it doesn't want to fit his view. He doesn't fit his worldview, and so he won't talk about it. I think that's the true of the majority of people. You could uh, you could take this into a theological realm instead of just a political realm. There was a time I've said this before when I was a pastor, and much as I am as a talk show host and a podcaster, I was kind of like that as a as a pastor as well. Um, I'm not interested in the the mainline stuff, I guess. I, not mainline in the sense of what I believe, but in the sense of, you know, I'm expected to teach people. And so I'm teaching a class one day, Bible study class. And after the class, one of the women came up to me after the class and said, I need to talk to you. Because she was concerned about something that I had said. Well, it turned out that what she was concerned about was, and, and what you have to understand is that she didn't attend my church. She attended another church. She just came uh, as part of the Bible study class. And she said to me, and I can still hear her voice in my head. This was in Georgia. She said, my pastor said that black folk are the descendants of Cain and that they are cursed by God. She believed this. She believed this wholeheartedly. It, it, it's not something that I, I sit here and go, well, anecdotally, this happened. This happened to me. And I sat her down on the bench and I said, look, I want you to think about that for just a moment. Okay. I have told you something that upset you because it, it, it deviated from what your other pastor had told you. Your other pastor told you that black folk are condemned because they are the children of Cain, and I have told you that that is not true. You have to decide which of us is lying to you, because one of us is. We can't both be telling you the truth. And then I said to her, and I just want you to think about something. Do you actually believe the stories in the Bible? She said, well, yes, of course, they're true. And I said, well, then it's weird because all the descendants of Cain died in the flood when Noah built an ark. There are no descendants of Cain. And you could literally see the gears in her head just grind to a halt. If there was such a thing, you could see smoke coming out of her ear. She didn't know what to do. And so from that point on, the conversation changed to something completely different. She didn't want to talk about it anymore. This is how people react to it when their worldview is challenged. Minds change 
but does it really impact things? Do you think she went forward from that day thinking to herself, well, I need to stop thinking that African-Americans are cursed? Of course not. She had been raised a certain way. It had been rationalized to her. And so no punk young pastor is going to challenge that. He must be a liberal. Minds change, but do they really impact things? When it comes to politics with this stuff, the only, measure, the only measuring tool we have is an election. But elections are corrupt, and they are emotionally based. I don't mean corrupt in the sense that some of you mean. I, I mean the people who are running are corrupt. They're not running for the right reasons. They're running for power and wealth and prestige. They are not running for the glory of the republic and for the betterment of the society. And because our elections are mostly emotionally based, you end up with where you have an election where minds are changed, but do they really impact things? 81 million people proved that in 2020. If the 21st century equivalent of mindlessness, is, as the author wrote, is wokeism, then we're forced to ask the question, what, what if anything would change that? What we are starting to see, at least in general, is that Hamas has changed that to some degree. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that every mind that is pro-Palestinian has been changed. That's not what I'm telling you. Some have told me in the past that minds have been changed, that every mind has been changed. I had a conversation once with a fellow broadcaster who insisted to me that because of Trump, religion was growing like wildfire. He even had stats to back it up. I'm not seeing any evidence of it. Some minds, however, have been changed. And would that be enough to impact the overall position of things? We're told over and over again that a terrorist attack here by Hamas is, is inevitable. That the wide open border has allowed these folks to come in, that the FBI has caught people, so forth and so on. And that such an attack by Hamas here in the United States is, as they say, incompatible. Or not incompatible, in, in, inevitable. It is... Well, there's two ways we could look at this. There's two presumptions here. Um, these two presumptions, though, are mutually incompatible. And we have to question whether or not we're looking at things with our heart or our brain. The first assumption is that an attack here by Hamas would motivate people against Hamas, to oppose Hamas. And, of course, this is conceived as good. More people would awake from wokeism. More people would become pro-Israeli and less pro-Hamas. This, of course, is seen as good. And this is the presumption of what would happen if there was a major Hamas attack. The second presumption, though, is that an attack here would motivate people against Hamas. David, it's the same thing. Not necessarily. If Hamas was looking at this and Iran was looking at this and they said, we need an attack, do you think that they don't understand how bad that would be for for their public relations. Right now, in the United States, the vast majority of media coverage is for the pro-Palestinian rallies. There was no coverage here for the pro-Israel rally, none. 
but the three or four pro-Hamas rallies have been covered quite extensively. Does Hamas really think that it's a wise idea to allow an attack here in the United States, which would clearly motivate people against Hamas and pro-Israel? What if that threat of an attack is just deterrence against support for Israel? In other words, Iran, who controls Hamas and Hezbollah, is looking at this and saying, look, if you continue to support Israel, or if you overtly support Israel, or if you get involved with Israel, then you become a military target. And it's, it's, not, it's not an attack in as so much as it's a, a military battle. At that point, an attack wouldn't hurt their PR anyway. Or maybe it would. I don't know. The problem becomes one of, you know, heart versus brain. I mean, how do we react to that when it happens? Would such an attack wake up more people? Would more people get up, uh, as the articles have said, I woke up on the morning of October 7th as a liberal. I went to bed that night as a conservative. Or will the simple threat cause more people to move towards, as the writer put it, soundness of mind? Will we begin to consider things rationally rather than emotionally? And these are things that we have to think about as we consider what's going to happen in the future. My crystal ball is as murky as anyone else's. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what Hamas is going to do. But I do know that people's worldviews are being changed. And people are having to come face to face with that idea that when I was younger, I was compassionate. When I'm older, I have soundness of mind. And which of those two is going to help me and my nation and my people to survive? I submit to you that it's soundness of mind, but the emotionalism of the moment makes it lean into the heart issue. Which will it be? Who knows? We'll wait and see, but in the meantime, will more people talk about it, or will more people just bury their heads in the sand? <laughs>